are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Before, before I begin, I want, I'm going to go off script for a second, and hopefully, Charlie, this won't count against my time limit. <laughs> um, being able to step out of the pews and up here into the pulpit is just a blessing. It's nothing but a sheer blessing. So thank you for this opportunity. I promise to stay within my time allotment, but um, fortunately, I'm not on staff. So <laughs> the worst thing that can happen is that I just go right back and sitting in the pew next week. <laughs> Today's scripture comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church of uh, Thessalonica. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Now, before I actually start reading the scripture, oops, can I go back to the other slide? I don't know what, th thank you. Um, it's important, and I don't know if you can see this map where Thessalonica is, but it's important to understand when you're reading the letters that Paul and the other apostles wrote, you really need to understand what was going on in those churches, right? Otherwise, reading it out of context might not really make sense. And Thessalonica, as I was researching it, for what it's worth, it really reminded me a lot of Madison um, for a number of reasons. Uh, Thessalonica is, if you see the Aegean Sea kind of in the middle, up in the north, there's a little town right on the coast, Thessalonica. It's the second largest uh, city still in Greece today, so it's, it's one of the few churches or few cities from the New Testament that, are, that still exists today. Well, scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter roughly 20 years after Jesus had died and resurrected. So it makes it the oldest surviving letter that Paul would have written to any Christian church. And at the time that he wrote this letter, Thessalonica was part of the Roman Empire with a population of roughly 200,000, so just a little smaller than Madison. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia, and was strategically important as a trade center between Europe and Asia. So if you're going to start a church, it was a great place to spread the good news. However, uh, government and politics were especially important to the, Th the Thessalonians because the Roman Empire had made Thessalon Thessalonica a free city, so it was able to govern itself. So what Paul did is he wrote his first letter to encourage the new believers in Thessalonica because they were suffering persecution. They believed Jesus was their king, and this was politically dangerous. Paul also responded to three concerns that were troubling these new believers. The first concern related to the believers who were being influenced by the pagan culture. The second concern related to their fear that all of the deceased members of their church 
were not going to go to heaven because they had died before Jesus had returned. And the third concern related to these believers in the church who had quit their jobs and were just sitting idly by waiting for Jesus' second coming. So with that in mind, let's read the scripture. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them, and see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. The church that encourages and builds up each other. My sermon today is going to focus on a verse from the very center of the scripture that we just read. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. Last weekend, I was encouraged at a local swim meet. All three of my boys are swimmers, and in the summer, they swim for one of the local Madison all-city swim swim league teams. I usually find another covenant family whose children are swimming for the opposing team. (laughs) So in between my children's heats, I connect with these families. And last weekend, I had such an opportunity I found myself encouraged as I was talking with another covenant mother, chatting about our family and life as a busy mom. There is something marvelously encouraging about watching covenant families out and about in the community, connecting over what is going on in their lives and supporting in their swimming events. At the same swim meet, One of my boys was also encouraged, but in a completely different way. He swam the individual medley, where one swims all four of the strokes, the backstroke, the breaststroke, the butterfly, and the freestyle. And last week's swim meet was only the second time he'd ever swum this in a swim meet. When he got out of the pool, he was absolutely crushed because he thought he had disqualified himself and made a mistake. For the record, he did not DQ. (laughs) My son 
went back to the tent and just sat in stone silence. As he was sitting there, another teammate came up, came over, got my son to stand up, and they somehow figured out how to buy some candy. I think he found my purse. They goofed around a bit, and by the time it was my son's next event, his attitude had changed. His head was back in the game, in the swim meet, and he shaved off 13.85 seconds off of his breaststroke. <laughs> Encouragement is a defining feature of the church. The New Testament alone mentions the word encourage 45 times. Someone is either encouraging or being encouraged by a Christian. In the scripture reading for today, we hear the Apostle Paul encouraging the church of Thessalonica. And then he directs each one of us to encourage others. In verse 11, which is up on the screen, Paul is telling all believers, not just pastors or elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers, you are all called to encourage each other and engage in the ministry of encouragement. Mutual encouragement is a fundamental ingredient of the Christian community. Having been encouraged myself by covenant members, many of you I see here today, I believe encouragement is a gift from God. The kind of encouragement that God calls us to give each other is not based upon specific words. It is not a set of empty phrases telling others that it'll be okay or that you'll pray for them. It's not solving someone's problems or critiquing what that person did wrong. For example, do you remember the story of Job and Job's friends? They sat in silence with him for over a week. And then when they were done, they were trying to comfort him, but they proceeded to critique his life, accusing him of doing something to deserve his misfortunes. And that is not encouragement. Job's friends not only made Job's life miserable, but they angered God. So don't do that. <laughs> don't be like Job's friends. Christians are not supposed to be backseat drivers in other people's lives. In Paul's original text, the Greek word he used for encourage was parakaleo, which literally means to call to one's aid. Some Bible translations use the word comfort, for example, in the King James Version. And this is particularly important if we are to understand God's intent for the ministry of encouragement because Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our comforter. So the type of encouragement that Paul is really talking about involves words or actions that are inspired out of love, filled with the Holy Spirit, and comfort each other. So if God is calling us to the ministry of encouragement, how on earth do we do this? The answer is amazingly simple. Pray. 
Just like any other ministry, the ministry of encouragement begins with prayer. Before you go to church, before you leave your house, when you're driving in your car or walking down the street, pray. Pray for God's help. Ask God to open your heart and use you. Remember that God created you. God knows you. God loves you. God wants to use you to encourage others, even if you have no clue how to do so. Encouragement works best when it is provided in relationships. If you want to comfort someone, you really need to know who that person is. And this is a key reason why the church often talks about being in fellowship with one another. We need to be in fellowship, in communion, in relationships with one another if we are to live out God's calling to encourage each other. So maybe it's as simple as talking with another covenant member at a swim meet. Or maybe it involves joining one of covenants, small groups, or hanging around a little bit longer in the Bradfield Hall today with our fiesta, or, or in the narthex, or even just in the pew. You will never know. Maybe you will, but mostly you probably won't know how God is going to be using you. A ministry of encouragement also requires presence. Your presence. Just be there in the moment. Sometimes you might sense God calling you to encourage a specific person. You might even sense words that are spirit-filled. And other times you might have absolutely no clue that God is using you. You might have no idea that your presence alone is ministering to others. I always tell my children, you never know who needs you to sing that hymn for them. So sing, even if you're off key. Sorry, choir. <laughs> um, sorry, I, I don't mean to encourage singing off key, but you, still. Um, the good news is that you don't need to worry about what to do next. If you've prayed, God will show up. So let God do what God does best, using broken people for God's purposes. In this new book, Practicing Changing Yourself to Change the World, it was written by Reverend Kathy Escobar. And in it, she explains how people who feel like they are failing in their faith will often describe exiting the church as they knew it and then feeling like they are on the outside, or no longer knowing how to pray, or read the Bible, or connect with God in a way that feels meaningful. Or they'll describe experiencing anger, sadness, confusion after years of certainty and clarity about their faith. Or having broken relationships with friends and family. Or they'll describe feeling lonely and disconnected where once there was joy, purpose, and a sense of community. Or they feel shame that they just can't figure out God or faith. Well, encouragement, it's important to have empathy because God might use you 
to encourage others who are questioning their faith. What I'm about to say, I believe, is at the heart of why we are all called to the ministry of encouragement. If we are being completely honest with ourselves, we either personally have or know someone else who has felt like they're failing in their faith. So listen to what Kathy's words of empathetic encouragement are. I constantly remind people that there is no such thing as a failed faith. It might feel real, but it comes from the unhealthy binary either-or thinking many of us were taught in rigid systems. It becomes embedded in our hearts and experience and will always give us trouble. Thinking we're either in or out, right or wrong, on, good, on God's good side or bad side, will always lead to pain and strife. But making peace with an evolving faith, that we will always be changing, growing, morphing spiritually, is an important practice that isn't readily taught in a lot of churches. Kathy Escobar continues by challenging people who are not struggling with their faith. She says, you can be a powerful source of healing for people when it comes to these issues of faith by learning how to honor others' diverse and uncertain faith stories with tenderness and care. Let them wrestle and struggle and resist your temptation to try to fix their complex questions and doubts with simple solutions. Try to trust God in their lives and affirm your heart for them through less words and more presence. This, this is the kind of spirit-led, love-filled, comfort-giving ministry of encouragement that we are all called to provide. Friends, the good news from today, or for today from the pews, is this. God has called each of us to love each other with encouragement that is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it comforts our innermost being. We are already doing this, and we need to continue doing so. True Christian encouragement is love. We're loving our neighbors as ourselves. May we all respond to God's calling, trusting that the Holy Spirit will use us as a blessing to encourage others and build each other up. Thanks be to God.